Welcome to Fantasy or Reality, the GPP. Whatever road you took to get here doesn't matter. What matters is you're here. My hope is that we all can help one another in this journey. Hey friends, welcome back to Fantasy or Reality, the GPP. Today, this evening, this morning, wherever you're listening to it, I, uh, I have a special one here for you. It uh, is going to be a lovely interview with my friend, Brian Hatch, who is the host of All in the Addicted Gamblers podcast. Um, he uh, Early on in my recovery, he was one of the first podcasts I found. He has been a, a good friend and a good support through my entire uh, period in recovery. So I'm really excited to have Brian join us today. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I apologize for my voice. I've been sick. Yes, Brian is joining us with a case of the laryngitis here, and he's going to power through because that's how important this is to him. He is just the man, and we appreciate it. I'm playing hurt. That's it. Playing hurt. Yeah, so I'm sure a lot of you have heard Brian's story, but if you haven't, um, Brian's going to give us a bit of a backstory. Just tell us about himself, you know, his uh, early days of gambling and um, where he's at today. I like this format because then I can I can talk about, you know, when I was a kid and gambling and not just cut right to I was 18 when I started gambling because I was a kid. I was um, gambling with my grandfather, playing cards with him. And also my parents, we played cards in the house as well for, you know, pennies, nickels, dimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I remember when I was 12, my school had a festival of some kind. And so my whole family was there because my mom was the principal of the school. So our whole family was there and somebody was selling pull tabs and he was selling them to kids like I could buy them. And I started buying pull tabs and I and I wouldn't win. And I remember I went back to my parents car and I stole all the change from their car. Mm -hmm. And they had a bag of change in there that they used for like stamps and stuff at the post office. So I had. I mean, I must have spent like 20 bucks or something on these pull tabs. I couldn't believe it. And this is something I remember years later that I reflect on. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I was compulsively buying pull tabs before the proper age to be able to buy pull tabs at a church festival. But I really I mean, it got bad when I was uh, 18. I was a freshman in college. Some friends wanted to go to the local tribal casino. And the local tribal casino was two and a half hours away for me. But I thought, oh, I'll go visit my friends. It'll be fun. I haven't seen them. You know, it was high school friends. So we went to the casino and played blackjack and everybody had a good time. I won. So I had a really good time. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Why am I worried about going to work tomorrow (laughs) when I can win more money playing blackjack? So the next time I went, I was alone. The next time I went, I was alone and so on and so on. And uh, I was driving five hours round trip to go gamble when I should have been going to class or should have been on time for work. But uh, I was late to work. I skipped class. I would sleep through it. And eventually I got kicked out of college because I was spending all my time gambling. Uh, Academically dismissed, I said, I, I suppose is the proper way to say it. But Got kicked out, um, had to move back in with my parents, which, I mean, again, was the summer after my freshman year, so I'd have to move home anyway at that point. But um, I had to move home because I had no choice, and so I lived there for a while and continued to work my job and then moved out, moved in with a friend, and that's when, you know, being out on my own, when I could really 
gamble whenever I wanted again. So I would continue to drive there. I was 19 at this point. So I would drive to um, Canada because I was in Michigan. So I was only about an hour from Casino Windsor in Windsor, Ontario. So I'd go across the border for that. And then when I turned 21, Detroit put in three casinos downtown. So that was a lot easier to get to. That was a lot closer. Um, it was just a 45-minute drive from where I lived. And I was taking these classes downtown Detroit at the time. And so I would leave class at 10 o'clock at night and then shoot on over to the casino and play till 3, 4 in the morning and, again, be late to work. And eventually um, my work said, hey, you know, it'd be great if you'd show up on time. And I didn't, so they fired me. Which, you know, they had every reason to because I was late all the time. But I ended up moving back in with my parents. Uh, so, gosh, was that... I was 24. A lot of stuff happened right around 23, 24. I had to move back in with my parents. My friend told me I had a gambling addiction because we went to the casino together and we walked out. And as we were entering the parking structure, he said, you have a problem. You probably need to get help. And so listening to him, I did. I went to my first GA meeting at the age of 24. Um, I didn't uh, I didn't go back to my second meeting until I was 26. That first meeting was a little uncomfortable. And I thought I could do it on my own. So I made it, you know, whatever it was, six months on my own and then started gambling again. Decided I wanted to go back to school. And I hit up my grandfather to co-sign a loan for me because my parents wouldn't. And I had confessed to them about the gambling, so they were aware of the gambling at this point. And I told uh, my grandfather that I want to go back to school, and he co-signed this loan for me. And then he kind of said, afterwards, when the check was set to arrive, why don't I just give you the money and you can send the check back? And I said, that's a great idea. Of course, you know, I did not send that check back. I gambled both amounts of money uh, in two nights at the casino, and I never told him. And then he died before I could tell him, um, so that I sat with a lot of guilt on that for a long time. But at 26, I went to my second GA meeting. It was great. It was a good group. Uh, it was in Livonia, Michigan, and it was really, I mean, it saved me at the time. And it worked well uh, for two and a half years. But at two and a half years, I got complacent in my recovery. I decided I was tired that night and didn't go back to the meeting. And then I uh, was tired the next week and the next week and didn't go back. And then I was like, I can do this on my own. I don't need to go to the meetings. And again, that lasted about six months before I started gambling. And then, you know, to get that same feeling, I had to gamble more and faster and so I had switched from blackjack to roulette to slots, and that's where it really got bad. Just pouring money into slot machines was such a waste of time and effort. Um, but, you know, you win a couple times, and you're convinced you can win again on them. So that was my vice for a long time was slot machines. I tried working three jobs in an attempt to give myself no time to gamble, and also, you know, three jobs worth of money coming in because without graduating from college, I was working a lot of jobs, not a lot of careers. And so I ended up one night. I went out with some coworkers from one of the jobs on a Sunday night. There was a small four hour window where I actually had time on Sunday nights. And so we went to the bar. And I drank too much. And then I was kind of dating this girl that I worked with and 
she was drunk and she kind of pissed me off. And so I got, I left the bar and I left angry and I was driving down the highway angry. And all of a sudden my car kicks to the, the back end kicks to the left and the front end kicks to the right. And I'm in the left lane and I go across the right lane and all of a sudden like the car flips over and there's dirt coming in and hit me in the face. And I'm like, what is happening? And all of a sudden I kind of woke up and I was outside of the car and looking up at the night sky, it was a cold February day in Michigan. And uh, this was 11 o'clock at night. So the car was flipped over. So I couldn't even see the car. I was like, where's the car? It was flipped over. So it was so dark. You couldn't see it. Uh, my shoes had flown off in the car accident. I didn't have my shoes. So I'm standing in snow with just my socks. And then I heard sirens and everybody came down to get me. And I confessed right away. Um, I told whoever, I forget if it was an officer first or I think it was an officer. No, maybe it was a firefighter. But it, whoever it was, I was like, I was at a bar. I'm sorry. I screwed up. Uh, thank God I didn't hurt anybody or crash into anybody. And it was just me. But because I woke up on the outside of the car, they sent me to the hospital instead of taking me to jail. And at the hospital, I had to call my parents at like two, three in the morning to tell them that their 29-year-old son, 28 or 29-year-old son, had just flipped over a car and needed you to come get him. Um, so that wasn't a wake-up call they wanted to hear. I ended up quitting one of the three jobs, keeping the other two, and moving back in with my parents at the age of 29. And at this point, um, I got in trouble with the law, and my license was taken away for 30 days, and then I could only drive to work or school so i had a job but then i also started taking a class just so i could drive somewhere um it's like a how to build a website or something like that class the old-fashioned way not the plug and play that we have now and uh everything was good you know i stopped gambling oh i should finish um so i i had to go see a counselor because of the car accident and the counselor at the end of the session after i you know flipped over a car and was at a bar and got in trouble for drinking and driving. Um, the counselor said, you don't have a drinking problem. And I said, I know. And she said, you have a gambling problem. And I said, I know. And so the fact that that car accident happened and she said, I have a gambling problem really showed me, you know, what was going on. And so I didn't gamble. I moved in with my parents and things were good for another two and a half years. And then my dad died suddenly of aortic dissection. And that kind of spun me into relapsing and that relapse lasted about a year and in that year i um i gambled a bit in michigan and then i moved to california and i gambled on the way out there i gambled when i got there i, I was driving to las vegas a lot and then i placed my last bet on july 23rd of 2014 uh at the bellagio casino in las vegas everything all the money i lost it all and i went crap and I had taken out loans again and payday loans and I was in a mess of a place. And so I ended up filing bankruptcy uh, due to my gambling and uh, I haven't gambled since. Thank you very much for sharing all that. It's, um, I mean, I've heard that story many, many a times, um, but it's an important story to hear because I, I, I think it's a, I don't know, man. And just like hearing your story when I first started really made me feel like I wasn't alone in what I was doing. And um, I can relate it back to, um, Stuff I was doing when I was using drugs, using heroin and stuff like that back in my teens and 20s, because a lot of what you said relates, you know, this and this is where I came to that realization that 
addiction is addiction, regardless of whether we're gambling or using drugs or drinking. I too, you know, like uh, I was going to school for a while. I was trying to become a phys ed teacher and health education teacher. And um, several things had transpired where my drug addiction had picked back up and um, was taking out cash advances on credit cards, was lying to everybody. It was uh, it was getting really intense, really bad, really quick. And uh, I ended up doing the same thing. I was supposed to be in class, but meanwhile, I would, I would buy a eight ball or a quarter gram, uh, I mean, a quarter ounce of Coke or something like that and go sit at my house and just do that for 24 hours straight. Uh, people are thinking I'm at class. Uh, I remember coming home for uh, spring break, and this is when things really got to a bad point um, where I had come home, been using the whole time where I was home. And then that week I was supposed to go back. My mom had given me like a thousand dollars to go back to school with. I didn't go back. I went straight to my dealer's house and was there for about a day until I spent all that money. And uh, that's when everything kind of came out at that point. And I ended up having to move back home at the age of 25 or 24, whatever it was, three years into college, being like, what, what is wrong with me? How could I do this to myself again? And um, just all those just bad feelings, man, of just screwing up and doing the, feeling like I'm doing the wrong things over and over again. And uh, that's what forced me into recovery. So it's like a lot of those same actions and behaviors I've just noticed uh, across the board. It's whether we're gambling or, or whether we're using. And, um, you know, I, I eventually got clean in 2009, about a year and a half after that point. But uh, it, you know, I, I didn't take recovery seriously at that point. You know, like I know I've talked to you about this before and I've said this on here before where. I went to Narcotics Anonymous for a year. I got my year chip, but uh, it was one of these things where I thought I I could kind of just put some time between me and get past it. Like you said, you know, I could do this on my own, you know, you, you, but after like six months, you end up relapsing. You know, it, it took me some some time. I never used drugs and alcohol again, but because I didn't put the work in, I ended up after meeting my wife after several years, uh, eight or nine years later, that's when I started problematically gambling. So yeah, that's why I think uh, what we do in recovery is really important. We can't do this alone. So uh, that's why I think our podcasts, it's important to me. And um, here I go. I always, I always do this in my meetings and in my podcast. I feel like I just ramble on and on. So um, that's why people love you, Steve. Sometimes I just need to learn how to shut the F up and let the other person talk. Um <laughs> But yeah, so you haven't placed your last bet since 2014, but I've heard you talk about, and you recently had mentioned that some other stuff had come up. So do you want to talk a little bit about what's happened recently with you and um, how you're handling all that? Yeah. Um, so about a year and a half ago, I'd watched a documentary on Netflix about minimalism and you know getting rid of crap in your life that you just don't need. And I was inspired and I got rid of a bunch of stuff and I, I got to my baseball cards and I was like, oh, I should sell these on eBay and get rid of them. And I hadn't looked at them in years, but I, I immediately just enjoyed looking at them again and kind of going through them and, and checking them out online and yes, seeing what they were going for on eBay, that sort of thing. And I ended up, instead of selling some cards, I ended up buying a box of cards which again, not a bad thing to do. I bought one box and then about, I don't know, 
four months later, I bought another box, you know, three months later, I bought another box and all of a sudden for about six months, some, something like that. I was uh, buying and selling baseball cards like a madman on eBay and I was getting packages delivered to me. I would see the mail truck and I would get a rush because I was like, ooh, cards are going to be at my house. And some of it was the same rush as gambling. Um, I mean, in, in a certain way, it wasn't it wasn't as cool as gambling. It wasn't, you know, I uh, I always say this. I loved gambling. I can't do it, but I loved it. And this filled me with, it gave me something to do. I had these cards that I could curate, I could organize, I could put together. But yes, I could also sell and buy and, and there was an addictive quality to it. And I was spending way more money than I should have on such a thing. And I was lying about it too. Cause my wife had asked me like, are you still buying cards? And I'd say, no, I'm not buying cards. And of course I was. Um, so I was not, when I gambled, I, I, I dated. So I, you know, was in relationships from time to time, but I wasn't married or in a long-term relationship or anything like that. I didn't mess up any personal relationships by my gambling. But by my card buying, I did because um, I am no longer trusted in the house. I mean, not in the house. I, I'm try. I can be in the house, um, but I'm not trusted. I'm not. The trust uh, is gone because she feels like she doesn't know me because I lied so frequently about the cards. Yeah, I find that to be the the hardest part of this whole process. You know, like dealing with uh, the money lost and dealing with. Uh even like the self-hatred I had of myself, like I've been able to work through all that in, in recovery and, and therapy, but like, even to this day, you know, it's over 21 months for me and there's, you know, it, things are much better than they were, but you know, there still are times where you know, it's just, I'm still questioned. It's still, Kelly will still get triggered by something, you know, the, the losing of the trust and the lying that happens during our, addictive behaviors has been the hardest part for me is just knowing like that I hurt my wife, the person I love the most. And just like you're saying, like, it's, it's, yeah, that's the hardest part is, is going from having that trust to not having it. And then at some point, like we, we don't want to get there. We don't want to be there. Like you said, your wife knew about the cars at one point. And then at some point it switched where you just felt for whatever reason that you couldn't be honest about it and sometimes those lines are so blurred and then you get so far past the line you start to feel like at least for me it felt like i it just started compounding this self-hatred i had for myself and um you know i almost felt like shit i gotta stop this and fix this on my own i, I can't i can't have my wife see me in this way and um but that was the most difficult part for me but with the the baseball cards and stuff, do you like I've heard other people's opinions on some of the podcasts you've done in the last month or so about it. But I'm curious, how how do you view it? Do you view it as a relapse? Do you view this as yeah. something different? Or how how do you see this? Because I have my ideas, but I'm curious as to what you think. Um, when I first started talking about it, I lovingly referred to it as a side lapse since it was baseball cards. But I the way I how we always give our date and stuff like that is or how I intro the podcast Sam Bryan um and I last placed a bet in July of 2014 however I relapsed in my recovery in November of uh, last year 
I call it a relapse on my recovery because I, I mean, I was doing something to the point of harm to feel good. So, yeah, it's definitely, this is just my opinion. It's, 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 I see it as similar to, you know, I had a drug addiction. I had a gambling addiction. They both had a lot of the same behaviors, a lot of the same things. I still will say that my clean date is, you know, July 16th of 2009. And my last bet date was May 2nd of 2021. Um, they had a lot of the same things and behaviors and, and they cause a lot of the same problems and destruction. I don't know how I feel. I don't think I see it as gambling, but I could definitely see it as a relapse in in some way. So I, I still would say that your your last debate, your, your last date of bet, I can never say that freaking thing, is still back in 2014. You just had something that came up because of whatever reason, whether it was the not the meetings or whatever, whatever has been going on. I know you talk about a lot of what's going on with you on your podcast. I just feel like it's something different, but that's just my opinion. I, I, it's definitely a lot of the same. It's a lot of the same behaviors, the lying, the, the, the stuff we keep from our wives and, and the consequences. Um, yeah, definitely. The lying is when I, you know, when I felt like I had to lie, did you buy cards? And I would say, no, I mean, that should have been my warning sign right there of yeah. uh, maybe you shouldn't be doing this, Brian. And and then, you know, the last few months of doing it, I was like, I shouldn't be doing this. But then it was it was <laughs> I was getting away with it. And so it felt good. I was just chasing like this feels good. So I'm going to keep doing this. And what what do you think it was that made you feel like um, you just couldn't be honest about it? Because obviously it sounds like you were honest about it in the beginning. And what what I, I mean, I was spending too much money. Yeah. And and it would be seen as a waste of money. But also, you know, the the other part was the amount of time I would spend with the cards really, really pissed her off. And, and rightfully so. Yeah. Because we have two two small children. And I um I would come downstairs and I would organize my cards or sleeve them up or put them in protective stuff. Or I just yeah. that's how I relaxed. That's that was I could sit there and it was sort of mindless and organize something. And it felt good to do that. I mean, it also felt good to buy and sell them, but the organizing, the curating of them felt really good too. But I just wasted so much time that I wasn't present with the family. And so between the lies and the time wasted, I mean, when it came down to the money, she was like, I don't even care about the money. I care that you lied. Yeah. And that you were not present for your children. And so that's the part where, you know, that's not the type of person I want to be. So, yeah. Now, I've heard also different opinions on on this topic. And for me, it's been, well, well okay. So this topic of, is it important to know why we do these things? Is it important to know why did we gamble? Is it important to know why did you feel so connected to these baseball cards? Is it important to know why I used to shoot heroin when I was in my 20s? You know, like I've heard some people talk about it in a way where it's like, no, I just know I can't do this and I'm going to move forward. But at least just for me and my recovery, like it's been very important. Like I, not that I had to find out or I couldn't, but it's, it's gave me a lot more peace as to why I did these things, but also how to really identify when these things are in their infancy, if they start to pop up again, like, is this behavior I'm doing 
early on can I notice, oh, this is not good. This is not, this is something that I shouldn't be doing. This is something that's going to affect me negatively if I keep going with this, because this is how, how and why I may have started placing bets, you know, like with gambling, like I started because I was having difficulties at home, living with my parents. I felt like I wasn't being seen as, as a successful father and husband. I had, had heard some negative things said about me, and I felt like the only way to fix that was to, um, to win some large sum of money. So something I enjoyed doing for years, just playing free fantasy and the, and the, the year-long stuff with my friends, all of a sudden it became a monetary solution. And of course, at that time, I couldn't realize it until I got much further into uh my addiction and then now into recovery. So what do you think? Do you think it's important to find out like why like you haven't placed a bet in, you know, God, it's going to be nine years this year for you. But then it was the same thing. I stopped using drugs and then almost nine years later, another thing popped up. So is it important to you to try to figure out what happened over the last couple of years that that brought you to where you're at today to kind of, you know, make sure these things don't happen again for you in the future? Um, I mean, no, I don't think it's important, but I, you know, I want to know, cause I think just after a certain amount of time, well, at the beginning of, of your recovery, you know, if you stop gambling, you know, day one, isn't the time to be like, well, now why was I doing that? No, of course not. No. Day one is like the time to just don't gamble. For just sure. Don't gamble. Mm -hmm. And, but as time goes on, you do start to wonder like, why the hell? Like, I get it now that fog clears and you go, oh, my God, I can't believe I gambled all that money away. And what the hell was I doing? And oh, my gosh, I, I let myself get fired. I let myself become this type of person. And so it is frustrating not to know because you're like, well, why would I do that to myself? But looking back, I, I think I can look back and say that I, I was a very lonely, depressed person. However, I was outgoing in certain situations and I was social in certain situations. So nobody realized and I don't think I even realized that I was lonely. I mean, I had friends, I had people to be around, but I just felt alone. And so gambling, gambling gave me that um, feeling of no one else in my circle is doing this right now. You know, I'm, I'm leading this ridiculous life where I'm out all night gambling. And that was kind of exciting for me to be the friend who was that guy. Um, so that played a part as well. You know, after I didn't graduate from college and everybody else started graduating and moving on with their lives, it just made me want to gamble more to, you know, to catch up almost like they were, mm -hmm. you know, looking to buy houses and things like that. And I'm, you know, and I know what time my parents wake up because I sleep across the hall from them for sure. Mm -hmm. So I, all I know is the baseball cards felt good. And I don't know if it brought me back to when I was a kid and I loved looking at the cards. I'm a huge baseball fan. So looking at the cards kind of, you know, you could say in a similar way of how sports betting can make your your fan experience better if you can do that and not create harm for yourself. Baseball cards are just another layer to baseball where you get to look at the stats on the back and you get to collect certain players' cards. And for whatever reason, and I don't know, that just that gives me a good feeling. And so I chased that feeling. And like what you said before, let, let me definitely be clear. That is not something I think should be important to you in your first day or your first month. Like, uh, yeah, the, your first, how, whatever the time frame is in the beginning, it should just be more about stopping and, and changing habits and behaviors. 
but uh, at least for me, I, I found it to be important over time. And it gave yeah. me a lot more peace and clarity as to why I did these things and how to make sure I didn't do these things again. So like you were saying, it, it, the uh, baseball cards, you, you kind of could enhance your fan experience. So do you still do, do you watch sports on a regular basis? Do you um, feel a connection to those teams still or you feel like it was more connection to your childhood? I think the childhood played into it, but also I think when I was a kid, you know, it was exciting to get a good card. And so there was still that like, oh, this card is valuable. And yeah. so that's that's where the gambling can creep in of buying a box and hoping for a valuable card is sort of the same as putting money in and hoping for a win. Mm -hmm. So that's where the similarities come in. It bothers me that I abused it and got it and, and let myself get addicted to it because I do enjoy just looking at them and going through them. There's something about organizing them that gives me great pleasure. Um, you know, I think I do very well with one of those uh, train sets with the cities and you paint all the people. And <laughs> I can see myself doing that in 20 years now. But I, you know, it's a bummer because I, I abuse that. So now I can't, I'm, I, you know, I can't go through my cards. I can't look at them. I can't handle them. I honestly have no idea what's going to become of them. And I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, because that's not what's important. And what's important is making sure that my family life uh, is is going well. And I let my family down by letting baseball cards take over my life for better part of a year. Yeah, I feel the same way too. So it was the same thing with fantasy sports. I could do it and play it. And I loved doing it for years, non-compulsively. It was not a problem. Like I enjoyed being in leagues with my best friend. I enjoyed learning about players more and enhancing that fan experience and whatnot. Yeah. And then just something happened that just turned it from fun to compulsion. And I think that's going to be different for everyone. So if you know, you're listening, you know, if you can identify when that happened or identify it, if it's happening for you, but I agree, like as much as you enjoyed the baseball cards and as much as I used to enjoy playing fantasy, what's, more important and the most important is having a good and happy family life. And it's been a long time since I've played fantasy sports. I haven't even watched sports or paid attention. And I don't really, I don't, I don't care anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm happier now to have a better home life. So I'm curious what, um, what are you and your wife doing right now to work through this together? Are you are you attending one-on-one -on -one therapy? What have you done differently than you've done with your recovery now? Because I know like in a lot of your past podcasts, you talk about how your podcast is your recovery. And um, that was your main source. So are you doing anything differently now? Um, and how has that been working for you? Well, you're right. The podcast is my main source of recovery because just talking about it helps me so I continue to do that to help myself, but no, we're, I mean, we're in couples count. We did an episode about it. We're in, uh, we're in therapy together with a, a family therapist. Um, so we're working through some stuff in there. I, I you know, I, it obviously goes deeper than the baseball cards. And so, uh, yeah, we're working through and some weeks are good in therapy and some weeks are bad. Yeah. Um, not bad. I mean, I, you learn something every time, but it's like, it feels bad, yeah. you know, cause maybe 
you're talking about your bad behaviors that whole time. <laughs> it doesn't feel good to relive those. Mm -hmm. um, but that that's what we're doing. And I don't think I answered your question earlier about sports teams. I still will watch baseball. I love baseball. So I will still be a Detroit Tigers fan and still watch baseball. And, you know, unfortunately, the cards will pop in my head because certain players will come up and I'll be like, oh, I had their card or, you know, something like that. But I still watch sports. I don't watch as much football hockey or nba as i used to because i just slowly lost interest um i think watching football is frustrating just because every commercial break the commercials for gambling you're just like geez louise and it, i they don't trigger me i just get angry at watching them constantly that they're yeah. constantly on but no baseball still my number one sport and i'll still watch it and you know that might be not good for me to do i don't know we'll find out if it triggers me too much like i got to go buy baseball cards then i know not to watch it <laughs> yeah but i i think i should be okay i think as much as i would love to go buy a pack of baseball cards and have that feeling again it's 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 up there with gambling now of something that i can't do if i want my family life to be good yeah financially and stuff like that like when i got caught and everything happened i uh was mainly the one that handled all the bills i was the one that paid the mortgage i was the one who handled everything financially and then when everything came crashing down and came to a halt um my wife took over the finances completely i was basically given you know 50 bucks a week to get gas and get food and whatnot and uh i've gained a lot of trust back like i said it's it's not probably ever going to be back to 100%, but I've gained enough trust back and enough time has gone by where we've gotten a, uh, it's called True Link. I think you did a episode oh, yeah. of your um, YouTube thing about it on the, yeah, on the battery life. Um, so we got one of those cards. So I've been using that the last month about. So we've gone from just, you know, cash and now it's, you know, I don't have access yet to our bank accounts. You know, maybe one day, who knows? So leave that up to her. But you know, anytime anything like this happens, our wives, our partners have to kind of step up in that area. So I'm curious. Um, if you're not comfortable sharing, it's fine. But like, how? How? I'm just asking for the people listening, and maybe an affected other listening. Like, how are you guys handling your finances now? So I had. Um, th this is where some of the line came into play too. I had opened up a separate bank account to do my eBay with. And then I had gotten some extra credit cards to buy the cards with. So I was doing some financial stuff I shouldn't have been. So all the cards are no longer in my possession. Most of our stuff is on auto pay. My wife's a big auto pay person. I never was, but it is what it is. So she now does most of that. And I have a credit card that both of us belong to that I that's what I use so she can see all my transactions so there's no way to like go to the baseball card store and buy baseball cards because she would yeah. see it so that's that's good um you know I have to I have to pay back the money that I spent somehow some way so I'm just working through that to see how I can kind of reimburse us by doing something but again she was less concerned about the money than about the trust yeah but no, I mean, for the most part, it's all on auto anyway. But yeah, I mean, now I'm I, I have one credit card that she can see, and so that's I'm I'm limited in what I can do as well. Yeah, that's a difficult thing when the when the trust is broken, especially when it's a financial aspect. It's like 
they almost uh, are affected. Others, our partners, whatever, have to um, kind of take the reins and almost, you know, they kind of have to see what we're doing financially. But it sounds very similar to gambling, you know, the opening a separate bank account or having credit cards they don't know about because, you know, I had a few credit cards that Kelly didn't know about when I was gambling and had racked those up and paid those off several times and taken 401k loans and deductions and all that stuff that she didn't know about. And um, that was one of those things like you, you were talking about in therapy, having to come clean with all that stuff and talk about all the hard stuff you've done. Yeah, that that was not fun to come clean about like all the stuff that you've done. Like once the the dust clears and you're really like, and everything settles and you're like, Oh my God, like how could I have done all this? How, how did I get to this point? But that's where we kind of have to just put one foot in front of the other and just, you know, do your step work or do whatever works for you. You know, like I personally haven't done the steps, but, um, meetings and one-on-one therapy has been super important for me since we since i since this happened i asked our mutual friend jeff if uh he would join me in podcasts and we would talk about the steps so we're doing one a month yeah I heard so the we first did step one. one in january and then we'll do step two this month and so on because i was like i've never really done the steps so let, let's let's talk about them and you know i can't promise each and every step i'm gonna do well but least like to talk about it and, and see what it means to people and find out if that would help me at all. So that's what I'm doing on my end. Well, that's something different that you're doing, right? I mean, you something different. Yeah. You know, I mean, steps. trying something different to maybe identify how did this happen? How can I prevent this from happening in the future and just rebuild? Like I realized like through this whole process, it's not about going back to the person I used to be before addiction. It's about becoming a better version of myself and becoming the best person I can be. And it's, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like I'm never going to go back to being who I was when I was 20 or 15 or 25. I can only move forward. You know, we still have to deal with the consequences of our actions. And like I said earlier, it's sometimes it's difficult dealing with the, uh, the fallout and the guilt and all that stuff that all the negative behaviors that I've done, but that's where I find doing podcasts like this, highly effective for me talking about it, doing meetings, the therapy, like I said, then life has gotten better. Like it, it does get better as long as we are a hundred percent honest about everything that we've done. And, you know, uh, that's what I try to preach and I preach just share on this podcast that, as long as we keep trying to do the next right thing, as long as we keep trying to improve ourselves, life does get better. I mean, like as much as it sucks, I I know how much it sucks, man, to have like that trust broken. And I know you said when you were gambling, it, it you were just with you. But now this baseball card thing, you were with your wife and you've got two kids like that's same thing. I'm married with two kids. And that's just that's what made it hit really hard with me like i knew the whole time when i was doing it there was something wrong there i just couldn't stop i kept thinking it was like the solution to my problems with the gambling and um it ended up destroying everything so going forward you're going to be doing the steps on your podcast so next next month you're going to be doing step two yeah this this is february now so step two this month and uh so on from there it's it's hard to like i I'm very fidgety with my hands. And so it's hard to not 
like it was nice shuffling through the cards and having something in my hands and that sort of thing. And so the phone is sort of that, like, let me check some things. But, you know, a year and a half ago, I stopped social media. I just recently got back on LinkedIn, but I I need something to look at while I'm putting the baby down. I don't know why I feel that way, but I do. And I shouldn't feel that way. I should just be able to put my son down to sleep without having to flip through my phone. And And it's that little, it's that voice in the back of my head that's like, you need the phone. And so there are plenty of bad behaviors that I'm doing that I could relax on as well. Um, not just the gambling and the baseball cards, but you know, being present in general would be a good idea for me. Oh, I have a compliment for you. Oh, well, thank you. Already. It's not from me. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's from somebody else. Oh, okay. Um, I thought I would share it. So when I went to the national council's um, conference last July, Mm-hmm. I talked to a New York Times reporter and I he was talking about podcasts and he brought up yours and he was like, I love it. He's so raw. It's great. And he really <laughs> he really this New York Times reporter really enjoyed your podcast. And I've been wanting to tell you that ever since. And so hmm. now's the time. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's where uh, that was like the first uh, story I ever put myself out there was i mean i was doing a podcast but i remember that's when you had linked me up with the the reporter kurt streeter i still remember his name and did that uh oh yeah 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 yeah. and this was a completely separate reporter in a completely separate department and uh he he had checked out your podcast and he really liked it so no that's i thought cool. that was really cool that is very cool thank you for sharing that yeah um talking about um conferences i hear you're going to be at our one here in new york on march 8th and march 9th yes i am are you gonna be there i'm i'm taking a day off i'm gonna go at least on the 8th so i'm very excited to meet you for the first time brother will you me too um and you'll have to hop on with me i would love to so yeah what are, are you we're doing or i think so so while the new york council on problem gambling's annual conference is happening i'm they do a Facebook live. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to host their Facebook live the entire time. The conference is happening. We're, we're not going to stop. We're going to do, I think eight hours the first day and like six, the second day. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So anybody who can't go can, you know, kind of get coverage on, uh, on Facebook live. And so we're going to talk about gambling and gambling facts and hopefully share some stories. If, people would be willing to share stories oh, on awesome, there. Dude. Yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to do that with you. That'd be um, great. Yeah. You should definitely hop on. That would be great. So I'm, I'm pleased to hear you're going to be there. That was, that was going to be my next question. So I'm glad you brought it up. Yep. We're going to be there. And, uh, I oh, and we should life. say since you're in New York and you might have listeners in New York that if they want to attend the conference, there's a scholarship for people with lived experience if they can't afford it. So just uh, check it out on the New York Problem Gambling's website. Yeah, it's, uh, oh God, I should probably should know this too. It's nycpg. Uh, just put it in Google. I'm just sorry. Google. <laughs> I should yeah, know this, especially now that my, my wife is working there now. I should there's so many councils, things. they all blend together in my head. And so I just Google it every time. Yeah, so anybody who's in New York, if you like to pop by and say hi to Brian or I, well, we will be there. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm excited that it's going to be in person. You know, for the last 21 months for me, 99% of everything for me has been through Zoom because, you know, we were mid-pandemic when everything started. And yeah, you know, we were supposed to have it in person last year, 
but it ended up going virtual, unfortunately. Um, so I'm excited to go to the first in-person one. Yeah, my my wife, uh, Kelly, is working for the uh, New York Council now in the Capital Region. She's program manager there. So I'm sure one of these days she'll be on your podcast, um, not as an affected other, but as someone working, helping out people like you and I. I do tend to recruit all of the New York people to be on the podcast. I just put out another one with someone from New York. Yeah, Pam Brenner. I listened to that one. That's a good one. Yeah, from the Long Island region. Yep. Yeah, I'll, I, Steve and I will talk to everybody about gambling. I won't stop until I've had everybody who has anything to say about gambling on the podcast. <laughs> That's it. We, we won't stop. We're just trying to help all our brothers and sisters out there struggling with this affliction, disease, whatever you want to call it. How do you do? Is it, do you have, do you find it hard to get guests? Do you find it easy to get guests? Is it, is it weird asking people to be on? I always found it strange to be like, Hey, which it's easier now. Cause more, I get, I get emails now. Well, people will volunteer, but before it was like, I would cold email somebody and be like, do you want to yeah. come talk about you know, the most vulnerable piece of your life on a podcast with someone you don't know. Yeah. I've, I've had a few, I've had some people reach out to me. Um, most nice. people that have been on have been either people that have reached out to me or a few people from meetings I attend. Um, I had a friend of mine, Todd, who is in my Monday night meeting uh, that came on. Um, I had some people that have reached out, like I said, that uh, came on to do interviews. And then Jamie, who does After Gambling Podcast, came on with me. And um, I've been talking to him a lot more uh, lately. That's awesome, man. I'm glad to see he's doing his podcasts more often. Yeah, um, he just put out an episode. I got to yeah, listen to that one. That's a really good one. You and and Brian and Brian, you and Jamie, Brian and Jamie, those two podcasts um, were integral, huge for me in the beginning. Your podcast and Jamie's like, that's what got me through my first few, you know, Really, that's you're the one of the first people I reached out to. I mean, I came onto your podcast 62 days in and told my story for the first time. But uh, and I was so pleased you did because it was such a unique story at the know? time, at the time, and now it's just becoming more and more an everyday kind of thing. But yeah, to answer your question, like uh, mostly what I do is I just, uh, as you can tell, I just ramble the F on and I don't know how to shut myself up sometimes. So I just, I do a lot of solo stuff. I pick a topic and I pick oh, I on my thought, uh, what I'm thinking or what I'm, whatever's going on at that time. I like to kind of share my thoughts on what's worked for me. Sometimes I talk about the ups and downs, you know, some, sometimes things are great with my wife and I, sometimes they're not great. And it's, I think it's just kind of important to share those ups and downs so that people are listening like us realize, you know, that a, it can get better, but it, life still goes on. It's not going to be perfect. We we can stop gambling. We can stop our negative behaviors, but we st still kind of have to deal with the fallout and learn how to handle that stuff and, and work through it. Like when my wife is triggered and we're having a tough day, I used to ask her all the time. I used to be like, let's talk about it. Let's, let's work through this. Sometimes we just have to give them their space, let them work through it themselves. Sometimes it, it takes an hour conversation or sitting down. It's just, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's different every day um, when these things happen. Um, it can be something as simple as I'm, I get back to work a little bit later or who knows, just the way I say something and I don't get upset or angry at it. 
I still feel the guilt man. it's still hard to deal with like the fact that I lied to the person I love the most in this life. But uh, yeah, so I talk about the ups and downs, just how I navigate through them. Um, but even with the tough days, it's, it's so worth it. Like to be on this side of it, like you don't have to live that negative life anymore. Like the lying, the gambling, whatever the drug use, whatever it is like life, no matter how difficult life is, it's, it's so much better to be on this end of it. And that's why I do this. That's why you do it. I think, you know, it's just, and, and you've been doing it now for over a year, right? Um, yeah, I started in October of 21. So it's been whatever that is 14, 15. No, I can't even, almost a year and a half. I love it. I love it. I love it more. The more, the merrier we need. Uh, I love more people talking about gambling and gambling harm and their addictions. So I'm so happy you're doing this. And, uh, that's so cool that it's been over a year now. Yeah. And then, um, all, you know, you helped me start this. I'm asked you a bunch of questions. Hopefully I wasn't being too annoying. No, not at all. Ago. I, this that's the kind of information that you need like no specifically how do i do this because it just makes you you know otherwise you'd be googling for hours or whatever and yeah trial and error and why when i know how just pass that information along and make your life a little easier yeah and then i was able to do a little bit of that with uh another mutual friend of ours uh from jeff's group kelly he does a podcast. Yeah, now. yeah. The game is over. That's another good one. He's got good production on that. He puts out a good amount of stuff. He's got a lot of good things to say. So that's another good one to listen to. Uh, a newer one. The, the game is over. Will you send me your podcast cover? Can I add you to my website? Yeah, for sure. I've got a section for podcasts on my website, and I want to add your your podcast cover art. That would be with fantastic. a link to your podcast. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I yeah, I gotta get you up there. I I can't. I don't know why I haven't done that so far. Although I just added the podcast like two weeks ago. I had resources on the web page, and I was like, why not add the podcasts? Those are really good resources. Yeah, that's a. It's one of the things that um, Jamie and I have talked about a decent amount in in our meetings, um, or just in conversation. It's like. For people that are calling these helplines, a lot of times they may not be ready to go to an in-person meeting. They may not be ready to talk to a counselor one-on-one, -on -one. but something they can do is they can throw their earbuds in and be washing the dishes or mowing the lawn or driving in their car. And they can listen to people like you or I or him telling our most innermost secrets and or just what we've been through is so they don't feel alone because that's what I needed in the beginning. It's literally why I do this podcast is to help that next person that came in like me. Because when I came in, it was almost, it was like a week before I could even find a GA meeting. All I did was listen to you and him talk about their story. And that's what made me not feel so alone. So these podcasts are so important to me. Like, not like, I mean, it, it's important to me because I can, get my thoughts out, tell my story, whatever. But like for the people that are coming in, like, I, I think this is one of the best resources. And thankfully the, I know like at the New York council on problem gambling, they offer these resources. They, they have your podcast. They have his podcast. They have Christina's podcast, um, the broke girl society. They have your YouTube channel, the, the bet free life. They have a lot of different podcasts on their websites and they mention it. Hopefully all the other, 
councils and the different states do that because I just know how important it was for me. So I'm so happy you started this trend. You know, you were the first one that started putting this out there. And um, now, I don't know, what is there? Got to be about 20 of them that are out there, 25, something like that. Hopefully it'll be more. I don't think more than 20, 15 to 20, probably. Although there's always more than you think. Yeah. Still not. But I mean, I know some of them have stopped or at least haven't put out any new ones in, in a while. So. Yeah, there's a few that I see haven't been active in a while. So like yours, mine, Jamie's, and Christina's are all active right now. But I don't know how many others are fully active right now. So, well, any uh, anything else you uh, would like to talk about, or um, anything else that's on your mind, or anything you'd like to share with someone who's listening that may have just relapsed or may have have had a similar situation to what's going on with you. Maybe they were, you know, maybe they've been bet free for a long time or they've been clean for a long time and, and something else popped back up. You know, do you have anything you want to share? You know, I, um, I got reached out to by three people after I did the baseball card episode who were like, Yes, baseball cards. Oh my gosh. I've hit rock bottom with baseball cards. <laughs> or somebody else who's like, oh my God, I have the same addiction. I thank you for talking about it. And not, it just proves the point of why you talk about these things because it brings mm-hmm. people out to be like, because there's other people suffering in silence. So if you can share your story so that way people can hear it and get the help they need. But if you've just relapsed, you know, just don't feel the shame to keep you away from whatever meeting you were attending or whatever. You, you were doing and it's not a it's not a loss it's not over if you relapse it's just a hiccup it's just a slip and you you get back up and you keep going otherwise you know the the, otherwise you just succumb to the addiction and that isn't a good way to go about things so um stay in recovery and keep going You, you know you're worth it yeah it's great and literally like what we're just talking about what you said you talk about something you probably thought you were the only one doing what you were doing like you probably yeah. thought that you were the only one having an issue with baseball cards right right that's literally the same feeling i felt over 20 just over 21 months ago before i found podcasts before i found you and others telling our story like i felt like who the hell can't stop playing daily fantasy sports there's what is wrong with me like daily fantasy sports like i i get heroin i get coke but gambling really like and then when i heard other people telling their stories and more and more and the more and more i heard on your podcast i was like oh my god i'm i'm not alone and for whatever reason it makes it easier to deal with i don't know like that we're not alone in this there's that it's it's not that there's something wrong with us there's something that we need to address within us but it's not like we specifically are some bad person we fell into whatever the addiction may be whether it be Drugs, alcohol, gambling, baseball cards, but there is a way out. You know, we don't have to always be stuck there. But yeah, man, I, I really am so glad you you came on and did this. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with me. Like I said, you've been an important part of my recovery since day one. Listening to you tell your story and having other people tell their stories on your podcasts. You know, you you're the reason why I do this podcast. You know, you got me started. And just we just keep that wave rolling. So that's why we do. That's why I do it. That's that's why I think a lot of us do it. Is 
just to help the next person up there. So yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. I this was so much fun to do. I love being on this end of it. Yeah. It's so much fun to just uh talk. I love talking about this stuff. So anytime you want to do this, I'm I'm up for it. I, I love it. So thank you for having me on and oh. great job. I, I really continued success with what you're doing. Thank you very much, brother. I appreciate it. And um thank you all for listening. Be good to yourselves and each other. Bye. Here's where to get help. You can call or text 1-800-522-4700. That's the National Council on Problem Gambling. Or you could call 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. This is where I found um, the link to my therapist through my local counselor. And then also, we cannot forget our affected others. My wife goes to Gammonon every week, and it's been a huge help to her. So anyone in your life who you feel like needs help or you've affected through your gambling, you can go to gammonon.org, G-A-M-A-N-O-N.org. The number is 718-352-1671.